a mesmerizing vocal arrangement of a beloved 1960s ballad. A sonic dreamscape from one of music's most unique icons. And a folktronica song that merges man and machine. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. So folks, today we're talking about songs with memorable vocal performances. And for me, I had this realization doing this intro that the best thing about doing this podcast is I get to talk to artists that are really at the top of their game. They are bringing such a unique perspective to the episodes and to the themes, and this one is no different. Joining me today are, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and our good friend, incredible singer, songwriter, producer, and Soundfly mentor, Surma Munyar. Surma is definitely one of the hardest working people I have ever met. She's also recorded with the likes of Akon, Elenium, and Carrie Hilson. She's recorded and produced vocals for jingles for major ads and written and produced original tracks that hit the top of the Spotify charts in her native Turkey. We get into all kinds of things on this episode, like an acapella arrangement can be a lot less cheesy than I previously thought. We learn that sometimes it's totally fine to just sing gibberish, and we look at the origins of a mysterious vocal effect. And just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying the show, please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're looking to develop or round out any musical skills, be sure to check out soundfly.com, where you can work one-on-one with our incredible mentors like Surma, or go through any of our amazing courses using our subscription. And you can take 20% off the cost of a monthly or annual subscription by using the discount code THEMES at checkout. That's THEMES, all caps. So without further ado, let's get into the theme, Songs with Memorable Vocal Performances. I want to, as always, start things off with a little farther reaching question. In your opinion... What makes a vocal performance memorable? Well, you know, sometimes I get impressed by the technical uh, side of things, but to me, emotional delivery is more important. And I, for a long time, uh, focused on when exactly my voice should crack, for example, and when it should sound airy, because I do pay attention to those things when I listen to other singers. I just want to be really touched by a performance. And when it's too technical, it feels too theatrical to me. So I actually am turned off by that. The storytelling is a big part of the final performance. I think there is a measure of working on the technical stuff during like your practice hours or whatever, where you can, you know, do your scales and fixate on pitch and stuff. Do that work so that it's just there and ready to go when it comes down to performing Mm -hmm. because then you can focus on the storytelling and all the pitch stuff will just happen. Um, Yeah. I feel like if we disregarded that, somebody would be like, Oh yeah. I thought I was trying to ask that in my convoluted way of like how, like, yeah, do Do the work. It's like being a bass player, play the scales and then you can solo when it's time. 
That, I guess. Yeah, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's it. Face planning step one. My Face entire planning. life just like flashed before my eyes. Like, really? Is that all it needed? I wasted so much time. I feel like, uh, well, that's like two thirds of your life. That is my whole life. Oh, man. to me so we're listening to gene porling's arrangement of the beatles song michelle as performed by the singers unlimited from the vocal production side they're one of the first groups to really utilize multi-tracking in this way where you have four singers who are all doubled and tripled sometimes covering six to eight parts um I mean, I was like, I feel like Serma might have a lot to say on this topic. I'm just glad that you didn't pick Moon River, uh, the Jacob (laughs) (laughs) Collier. Yeah, Moon River would have been a tough one. But yeah, so they never actually performed live because so much of their process was reliant on this sort of, you know, studio process. There's one female singer in the whole group. Her name is Bonnie Herman. She's also the original voice of the Like a Good Neighbor State Farm is there. Really? Jingle, yeah. <laughs> Another member of this group was actually, was actually the voice of the Jolly Green Giant for a very long time, oh, Lynn wow. Dressler. But yeah, so she would come in and she would sing the melody for most of the songs and then just like as a scratch track. And then Gene Porling would have everybody else sing their parts and then she'd come back at the end and kind of do a more embellished version. So for that reason, they didn't perform live because... It was part of the experience to be able to like pan everybody in different ways and do that whole thing. As somebody that loves to perform live, I'm kind of also somehow very jealous of that, where it's like, yeah, yeah we just made records and that's, <laughs> like, my dream. that's like the way to do it. <laughs> we just put, put music out. They had the like COVID model before COVID. <laughs> like that's how to do yeah, it. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, the other thing and something that they have in common with Serma is these were all people who were, you know, com- commercial vocalists. And this, um, this is something that they don't have in common with Serma, but originally the group was formed strictly for commercial purposes and they kind of wow. got talked into making albums, partly because they put together a demo that Oscar Peterson got his hands on. I thought that only happened with boy bands. (laughs) I had no idea. They've been sampled over 91 times. You could pick any moment in this track and you could sample it. I just hear like that with a beat immediately. Like there's so many really cool parts. Probably because it's just vocals and then your imagination is allowed to run wild on, on what you would add to that jay dilla sampled them a lot flying lotus has a tribe called quest logic kendrick lamar and a bunch of others this recording in particular has been sampled quite a few times um jay dilla has it sampled on jd40 and slum village sampled it for once upon a time i don't love acapella music in general like i find jazz choirs cheesy i sang in one briefly when i was young and it just all the do-dahs and stuff are hard for me but 
But I feel like this group in particular <laughs> both exemplifies that world and defies all the cheesy stereotypes somehow. The very end of this track, though, does have like the yeah, classic a acapella like trope that that is so funny. And I that can't help but. I did try to order um, a score of this arrangement because I don't have the transcription skills to figure out the reharmonizations quickly. It would have taken me a while. Um, And especially with all the doubling and tripling and panning and extra parts, it was just hard to pick out what was going at times. Didn't get the score in time to sort that out. Mm -hmm. But there are still some specific things I can speak to. The reharmonizations in general are crazy beautiful in this. I know that you'll understand. The idea that you can get away with like voicings that are sometimes tighter like if you have great singers mm-hmm. um you don't have to worry about things like l- like lower interval limits in quite the same way mm-hmm. there's just something about the human voice where like if you have good performers mm-hmm. you can put tensions and things like that in a chord and they sound incredible whereas if i were to play them on the piano they might sound more like mistakes oh know. that's a good point i do think that open chords uh, are more difficult to pull off when it comes to a cappella arrangements and in that sense yeah if you have all these close position uh, voicings then it definitely sounds like even if it's a minor second interval it sounds like oh like mm-hmm. there's something alluring going on here how much how hard would you say that is when you're recording different parts with your voice well it's interesting because I think that recording octaves is so easy. And somehow, when it comes to sixth or seventh intervals, that's when it gets really tough. Whereas when it comes to thirds, fourths, or even seconds, I have a easier time. And I think I've observed that in other singers as well. Can't tell why, but my only theory is that it's just too far away from the lead vocal. So the association factor is just not as strong. You're not supposed to use a lot of fourths and fifths, mm-hmm. but they're fun to sing. <laughs> like I there's know. something about that open sound. And they're big in pop um, music nowadays. Everybody is yeah. using I love that. <laughs> Uh, you meant like the flexibility of the human voice. I have to point out every time I hear an acapella group, it blows me away how deep the bass is I always. Know. Like it doesn't make sense that it should be possible. I know. But, and sometimes you have to, like you can't even hear it. You have to like really focus in you on feel it. on the bass. And you're like, well, yeah, what is that tremor in my <laughs> chest right now? It's like, oh, that's that's the bass. is a cover of the Beatles. It is um, one of their earlier songs, but at the same time, it is a song that they started that showed that they started to experiment with bigger harmonic concepts and things like that. In particular, there's a dominant seven sharp nine chord. In really the song. early on, yeah, yeah. That, that's really awesome. Michelle, my bell, these are well, and and moment. people were. 
apparently people responded to that in mixed ways. Like overall, people liked the song a lot. It, I'm pretty but sure hated it won a that Grammy. one chord. <laughs> people were thrown off by that one chord because it's a jazz chord. Like yeah. it's not a rock chord, especially during that time period, right? And I think that chord in particular really opened the door for um, the singer's unlimited arrangement in which they introduce even more yep. complex harmony. What year did it come out? I believe 1972, because the arrangement was nominated for a Grammy in the 1970s. The Singers Unlimited. Yeah. Oh, wow. In terms of the arrangement, big things that they, they did change, there is an interlude in this where there wasn't. Some of the lyrics are just taken out with a little bit of a form shuffle. Um, the original f- fades out with a, um, a repeated section. This has a very definite ending. Can we also talk about how well they control their voices? I mean, in these type of a cappella uh, groups, you have to sing uh, sustained tones when you're asked to do so. And there can't be even a hint of vibrato in those moments. Otherwise, you'll have all this like really clashy and nails on a chalkboard type of moments when you listen, because it just won't mesh well like this like the blend is beautiful and that takes so so much practice there's one moment where like one of 18 different layers Mm -hmm. is a little off in the start of a note and you hear it it's not like oh this is a mistake but you do hear that because everybody else is perfectly together you know hey carter have you heard about soundfly's new subscription let's say i haven't I think it's something you'd be super into. You know about Soundfly's courses, right? Of course I do. Not only are they highly engaging, they make it possible for us to do this show. Right. And you know about the premium courses, right? You mean like modern pop vocal production or orchestration for strings? Yep. Or faders up one, modern mix techniques, introduction to making music in Logic Pro, or advanced synths and patch design for producers. Or songwriting for producers? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as a Soundfly subscriber, you'd get access to all of those and more. Plus, an invitation to our online community of students, mentors, and Soundfly team members, like you and me. A subscription's perfect if you want to explore at your own pace, but still like the idea of a helpful community of expert professionals and passionate hobbyists standing by, ready to help. Wow, when you put it like that, it sounds like an existential conundrum for me personally, and a pretty sweet deal for just about anyone else. It is a sweet deal for just about anyone, and it gets even sweeter. Anyone listening to this episode can use the code THEMES to get an exclusive discount at soundfly.com. Because at Soundfly, we want to help you reach your musical goals. Anything else either of you noticed or want to talk about, other than the fact that this was nominated for a Grammy, but it lost to Live and Let Die? (laughs) Paul McCartney strikes again. <laughs> He's not going to be outdone by his, by his own, own song. That was pretty funny. I didn't even think about yeah. that. I like this song a lot more than I thought I would. That That's the thought. Like, I, I hadn't heard this version before. I had heard a few singers Unlimited. So I listen to Fool I think on the Hill a lot around our house. Every time I, I hear one of their songs, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Yeah. 
So we are listening to the incredible track Bachelorette by Bjork. Summer, was there any other song that you considered for this theme? I actually only thought about Bjork songs. If you were to ask me uh, the best vocal arrangement or the best vocal production, it would be a different choice. And I would probably not totally. look into Bjork songs at all. But when it comes mm. to performance and delivery, I looked up to her so much when I grew up. Even when I was in high school, I paid so much attention to the way she used her voice because there is no blend, which is interesting for someone like me who um, studied some jazz singing and blend mixed voice is big in jazz singing. And Bjork does this uh, chest voice and head voice, nothing in between approach, but she does it so masterfully. And I just thought that... That's the element that made her performances so hauntingly beautiful, powerful. Mm -hmm. It's just so dramatic, but not that theatrical at the same time. I mean, I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I remember especially studying this song so much when I first heard it in high school. And I just kept pushing my range, hurting my voice so many times, trying to hit those high notes. So I'm excited because I don't know... My note is literally, oh man, I don't know anything about <laughs> Bjork. There was something involving a swan once at some point. Like she that's wore a, a swan dress yeah. or something. To me, it's the, the spectacle of, of Bjork, which is amazing. And that's what I see. And then when I get to like dive into the music and hear like, oh my God, she's incredible. So the end of like the first phrase of the first verse where she, she's leaping down a minor seventh, I think. And that to me is like so tricky yeah goes like, goes like, out so the scale hard, like, pretty much the dorian scale and then goes down at least two times i think I, sh I saw her play it live and both times she moved the key down and it was just not comfortable for her to sing anymore at, up there you know hitting those high notes which happens mm -hmm. by the like way tired. <laughs> when you age, yeah. with, with age you lose yeah. your high range i mean you, you you lose your range period but your voice gets lower and lower with with age for sure also let's keep in mind that when bjork plays these shows live um she goes on tour for like up to a year sometimes i mean i don't yeah. think she does yeah. it anymore but when you tour and yeah. you play sing every night you have to protect your range. So I bet in her case, she just knew what she was going into. And those arrangements were made that way. Um, That's with that in mind. Weird. What are, what do you like from your perspective? Like, what are some things vocalists need to do to be able to, to sing every night for, for a year like that? That to me is. Or even to so make it crazy. through one night of this set. Well, yeah. don't Which talk. Is different than singing the song. During the day. Yeah, you just I, don't. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Talking. How often do you go on vocal rest, personally? Um, I try to do it whenever I can. I mean, I will say this. I think talking hurts your voice more than singing. So if I'm singing, I know that I'm going to be okay. There have been times when I sang for seven hours uh, some days. Wow. And it, it can be totally okay. Like you can rehearse, you can record, it'll be fine. You'll be tired at the end of the day. But if you're using your voice correctly, it's just not going to be a problem. But talking, when we talk, we get <laughs> emotional. We don't think about our technique at all. So right. it's just, it hurts our voice more than we realize. Is there a song in your catalog that you feel a listener could hear your song and hear this song and feel like there's maybe a through line in terms of it like the Bjork song influencing some work of your own? I would say uh, a Turkish song that I released in 2018, Bad Kibirgun, 
is definitely influenced by Björk the most. She produced Bachelorette, um, so we should just just say that out, you know out loud because yeah. we don't talk about her identity as a producer enough. I think um, she mm-hmm. was classically trained, and she doesn't mix or master her records, but she does produce a lot of it. So Bachelorette was um, composed by her and produced by her. She didn't write the lyrics herself; she co-wrote it with a friend of hers. Um, I will butcher the name. Sion or Jan, maybe the S is silent, um, mm. another Icelandic artist. And actually, this was originally written for a film by Bernardo Bertolucci, but apparently the project was withdrawn. So she ended up mm. including it in Homogenic, which was also released, I think, in 1997. I remember hearing the entire album. It had that theme of orchestral arrangements and mm-hmm. eerie sounds and electronic beats. It changed the way I thought about music. And it really made me mm-hmm. want to get into arranging and orchestration and production. But it's so funny. This song, I'm usually one who falls in love with dense vocal arrangements and really shimmery vocal productions that are really polished. But she doesn't use background vocal layers a lot. It's all about mm. her vocal performance, just the lead vocal. And it's so weird to me that it can stand out as much as it does with a dense arrangement like this. I think she also has this ability to take that giant orchestral world and still come across as very intimate in her performance. Yep. I don't know what that is, but it's magical. <laughs> One of the great things about Björk, one of her signature moves as a singer is just singing gibberish. <laughs> like she does this, <laughs> she does this a lot in her songs. And picture me, a Turkish girl in high school, and I'm studying Björk singing. And I'm trying to, you know, imitate her technique because, you know, that's how you learn. I yeah. just couldn't, couldn't match her accent. And like, it was one of my... Biggest insecurities at the time because, you know, like she is, she has this really strong way of singing that gibberish section in Bachelorette yeah. too. Like it's not just about the pitch. It's not just about the technique. It's also her accent that makes it so special. And no matter how many people try to cover this song or any song by Björk, they just can't do it like her. So I think the outro is definitely one of those special moments. She was seriously classically trained, and you can really tell because there's a consistency in especially the string arrangements throughout the years. And she works with other producers from time to time. Like right now, I think she's really obsessed with Arca. So the last two projects that she put out was uh, done with her. Even when she works with other producers, you really can tell her touch on things, you know, because she already introduced that brand. And to me, homogenic is that brand it's 
the most Bjork album that I've ever heard in my life. Maybe Vespertine is up there too. Do you think it's a good jumping off point then for somebody like myself who has not discovered enough Bjork yet that maybe that record is, is a really good... Yeah, where uh, should he start? Uh, yeah, where, yeah where, where do I get started listening <laughs> to Bjork? You know, it's not my favorite album by her. Uh, I would say Vespertine or M- Medulla, which is an a cappella album, by the way, and you should check out that one too. From Mother Ocean What's so interesting about her also, her late work, it's just so complicated, like complex. I feel like she's mm-hmm. one of those musicians who just doesn't like getting bored with what she makes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in the early years, like Vespertine, Homogenic, even Medulla, those albums are easy to digest. They're still, mm-hmm. in some ways, pop records. If you ask me, very alternative, very experimental, but still pop. But her late work, it's just something that you sit down and study. It's not for easy listening. There is a whole subgenre of kind of like chamber pop that I think isn't a common one, but she is somebody that I would put in that category sometimes. I feel like it's mostly like women who clearly played a very classical instrument at some point. Tori Amos, Fiona Apple. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Fiona Apple stuff that has tiny little hints of this kind of arrangement maybe you can't categorize bjork well she's timeless that's the thing i mean some people compare her music to kate bush and enya even i heard Mm -hmm. but i I could see that i just think that she's just in her own lane and her lane to me is timeless no matter how many decades are behind her um 20 years from now i feel like it's just gonna hold up just to speak to the the timelessness of this, like I when I I listened to it and I was like, when did this come out? And I was very surprised that it was ninety seven. Right, like, newer. Definitely thought it was newer, mm-hmm. and it's like over twenty years old now. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. You listen to other records from that time uh, frame, and it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Like especially pop. I mean, no no wonder yeah. this stood out to people. What do you think the secret is to doing that sort of thing? I don't think she was paying attention to the biggest names in the industry at that point i mean she wasn't Mm -hmm. probably listening to max morton and thinking like i should incorporate that into my (laughs) project you know and i think that really helped her because that's what keeps her so fresh every single time she puts something out you can say something like oh like i was expecting something along the lines of this album but you can never say oh that was bad like, I've never said that yeah. about a Bjork album before, and I think it's because she's only interested in keeping things interesting for herself. Anything else on Bachelorette, Sermon, that you want to discuss before we look at our last track of the yes, episode? Yes, I was going to say, don't make the mistake that I did when I, I was back in high school and try mm-hmm. to sing the song in the original key if it's not comfortable for you to do so. Even Bjork herself got nodules before on her vocal cords, and it's just yeah. not worth it. Not worth it, you guys. Okay, wait, while you're on that topic, talk to me about nodules. Because I feel like singers always talk about this, like it's something that we that people should just be able to identify. Oh, yes. How does somebody know they have nodules? This was back in my early 20s, and I was in a rock band, and we were doing long rehearsals and then writing sessions right after. So every single day we were working on music. And then we reached the studio time, and I'm about to record vocals, and I'm 
feeling this inability to hit the like the control is not there so especially like my Mm. higher range is not there anymore did it hurt or it just felt weird it wasn't like a hurting feeling but it felt weird i feel like if you're hurting yourself when you sing it usually tingles i mean if you really hurt yourself then you will feel pain but a lot of the strain that we feel in our throats is actually from the surrounding area it's not our vocal cords it's just a tension because you're putting yourself into so much stress. Your entire body just like clinches, you know, when you try to control your voice. If I'm putting my voice under a lot of stress, it's my body that hurts, not my voice usually. This time I was feeling that tingling feeling and no matter how well I try to control my voice, that I just couldn't place it in a good way to protect my voice. And I knew then that there was something wrong. I was like, this is new. I have to go to the doctor. I This never happened yeah. to me before. So did you have to get them like scraped off or whatever? Oh, that's such a, that word. Well, yeah, throats, they have but... to go in there with a the camera. <laughs> so the doctor was like, yep, you were right. You have uh, oh, no. tiny nodules. That's intense. And did they put you out for that or are you awake? Oh, no, you were awake. You're totally awake. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I think is this is this is worth talking about because some right of now. the most memorable singers of all time have dealt. Well, with you have this. to be yeah. awake because <laughs> the doctor goes now sing ah. Oh my god! I don't like ah. for any medical procedure as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you can definitely tell if, if, if it's happening to you for the first time, especially you can absolutely tell if you're paying close attention to your voice and you're trained, mm. you're a trained singer. I think there's no way mm. you can miss that. Well, that's good to know. Thanks for yeah. the medical Important, minute. Important uh, <laughs> PSA. No, definitely. No, it's it good. It will happen. <laughs> Let's dive into the, into the last track. Like I said, I feel like a fish out of water here because I'm picking a vocal tune. Uh, but let's let's have a listen and uh, we'll get right into it. Down along the creek I remember something Heard the heron hurried away Flush the breach that last Sunday Low moon down the yellow so we're listening to Bonnie Vare's track 715 Creeks. I used to always just call it Creeks, but the number 715 actually corresponds to the area code of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Justin Vernon's hometown. I think the coolest thing about Bonnie Vare is like he he's laid down his roots. He's got this amazing studio in Eau Claire, and that's just where he feels comfortable making music. So this track, Creeks, I've got a lot like, you know, it's just him and this machine that we will, we will get into for sure. It, of course, is from uh, his record 22 A Million, produced by Justin Vernon and, and Chris Messina. We'll have more on on Chris a little bit later. This was Bon Iver's third studio album, uh, the first being For Emma Forever Ago and uh, the eponymous Bon Iver. This record is, is a big departure from those first two records. It's much glitchier. It's that yeah. Folktronica thing. The sound. Uh, we'll get into get into that a little bit as I, as I start. Like there, there's a history behind the harmonizer that that we're gonna get into. I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's a track that he collaborated on with James Blake called "Fall Creek Boys Choir." It has a similar vibe, tons of auto tune. The vocal phrasing and melody have a very similar opening phrase. Caught up in the sea. 
Let's get into what's actually going on with this sound. They're using an instrument called the Messina, named after Chris Messina. But really what it is, is is the Antares uh, Harmony Engine plugin. What I can understand is it's running through Ableton, and then Chris Messina, who's the engineer at, at Bon Iver Studio, and like a, a like confidant of his, if you will, and they work on music together a ton. Do they tell ton. secrets? They do probably tell. This is, this is a, some of what they're doing here is a closely guarded <laughs> secret. Believe me, uh, the amount of research I did trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But they're running it through Ableton, then it's it's up to Chris Messina to figure out how to make it applied live. So I mean, like you do harmonies like this, but maybe you use uh, sound toys, like little altar boards. Melodyne or, a lot for stuff too, yeah. right? For background vocals. How might you just get started creating this sound? <laughs> it's interesting because when I first heard it, I was like, hmm, is this a vocoder? But then I could tell that it was an autotune effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could also tell that it had a harmonizing feature on, but I right. immediately also thought that it might be MIDI triggered. Definitely. And I, you hit on, on everything there, really, which was happening. But like they, so they're using the, I think, the what's known as the Prismizer configuration on the on the Antari Harmony engine. Guess at the time, doing it live and, and, and using it in a performance setting, there was just too much latency to get past. So that uh-huh. was Chris Messina's challenge was to like, from Justin Vernon was like, I need to do this live. This could be disputed for sure, but Chance the Rapper on the track All We Got from Coloring Book has this sound and it's definitely thought of and at times as like one of the, the first uh, instances of using it. There's a track called Woods by Bon Iver on, on the Blood Bank EP and this is in 2009. It feels like an obvious precursor to Creeks. I'm up in the It may have influenced Kanye West's use of autotune. He said that like Vernon is his favorite artist. They actually collaborated together on a Francis and the Light song Friends, a track that also features this prismizer effect. There are a couple quotes on, on the making of this. This is from W Magazine, something I never thought I, I would open. To w. So this is about Kanye West and, and Justin Vernon in the collaboration. So when West and Vernon collaborated with Francis and the Lights on the song Friends in 2016, Vernon was so inspired by the possibilities of Francis Starlight's Prismizer, which Starlight himself invented, that he wanted to adapt the technique for 22 a million. Uh, but he also wanted to be able to create the same effect in real time in the studio and on stage where the latency was just too much at the time which mm. is we think it is like this wasn't that long ago but uh, yeah. another quote though from the current um this is from justin uh, vernon himself i was talking to chris messina we were just talking about setting up new toys and finding uh, new zones trying not to get stuck in any sort of technological toilet bowl circling situation which is an incredible quote yeah plumbing's <laughs> been around for a long time yeah uh, and I was just like, let's try that out, <laughs> Vernon awesome. says. And, and he was probably like, oh, God, now I have to figure out how to do that. And as soon as they did figure out to do that, Justin Vernon was like, we're calling this the Messina. Like, he gets his own his own instrument. That's nice. He gets a production credit on the record. From what I can understand, because <laughs> they are keeping the cards close to the vest on how they did it. But there are a few more plugins at play. Messina worked out a rig through so his a computer, a chain that would not 
overload and create any latency. What videos there are of this performance live, there's still some glitchiness and there's some glitchiness in the recording, which I love. Like having a little bit of dirt on a recording, something that's not pristine and perfect to me, I think is, is awesome always. Yeah, the grid so. is nice. And it's really interesting how it's so dry. That was the first thing that caught my attention because yeah. usually you hear the autotune effect really wet, like reverb, delay, just drenched in all of those effects. And it's just so interesting that she he used it in such an organic way i need to touch on the lyrics which should be pretty hilarious because not something i ever truly think about but because it's like an indie folk tune and and bonnie very known for like very deep lyrics that that are just gonna fly right over my head one line i really loved finding both your hands a second sun came past the glass i think that's in reference to the moon i think i nailed that (laughs) and uh, and oh i know it felt right and i had you in my grasp so to me Sad for love lost, maybe a little bit. He is a lyricist who, like, even looking at the song titles, I don't think I've ever taken a deep dive into anything he's written because part of me feels like there's going to be like an E. E. Cummings pattern hidden somewhere, yeah. you know, and feels like that's going to be a journey. Well, yeah, this, like but... I said, the song titles on this record are. <laughs> but they must mean something, something you know? Yeah. So I, I think there is a lot there, and I think you can grab a couple lines here and there and read a lot into them and that's great. I have this thing where I sometimes feel embarrassed by the stuff that I write Mm. and in those situations I think about the person if there is a person that I'm writing the song about I think about whether they speak Turkish or English. If they speak English and not Turkish then I write it in Turkish so that they won't understand it and Uh, vice versa. You don't just just change (laughs) details. So the hack is just learn another language (laughs) Yeah that's so much harder. I was gonna say I, I just change details like hair color and things like that. And then Carter has no idea the songs. Are you covering your him? mouth. We're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to knock out the harmony here. There's, there's not a lot going on, but it's still like some of my favorite devices going on. We're in the key F minor. Um, the main vocal melody is like 90% F minor pentatonic. There are a couple D flats that appear at the end. So that takes it back into maybe just F natural minor. The main progression right, right off the top goes from uh, D flat major to F minor to A flat over C. You get like a chromatic step from C when it goes back to D flat yeah. and then just switches between D flat major and F minor. So not a lot of changes, but it just supports a simple melody, a very singable melody. Most tracks, when I look back, like, why do I love that track? Did it make me sit down and try and figure out what was going on? Or did it make me want to play my instrument more? And this track, mm. absolutely. I think transcribing vocalists and and horn players but we're talking vocals today so let's say vocalists but instruments that you have to breathe yeah is such an essential thing when you're you're an instrumental player like as a bass player i can play non-stop without taking a breath and uh that'll get you fired so you need to like (laughs) weird flex um learning from like to transcribe vocal parts on your instrument you are going to get such a, a more natural phrasing justin Vern has a very kind of unique phrasing um, there are some licks on this track that I want to highlight now, and, and I absolutely sat down and transcribed because they were just so hip and interesting. The other thing to note is just how much the energy ramps up. And again, one person singing, definitely, I think that the using the Messina influences that. They're both pushing each other further as the energy. It's totally true. As, as his dynamics rise, the instrument's dynamic rise, and then that feeds back to him I raising up dynamic. I want to make it clear that Justin Vernon's a human. He is. Not a robot. For now. For now. <laughs> he is for now. 
I just uh, in terms of to like getting the more peaks and valleys and the emotion of this track, I think the end of the track, it also has a moment where I can't help but laugh always when I hear it, which is weird, like takes me out of this like very contemplative state. And then right at the end is of the track, sure is. Yeah. So we're going to listen to uh, I love it, too. But let's let's have a listen to it right now. And I see you. Turn around now, you might damn turn around now, you might We're gonna get a hard time from some people because we didn't pick any standard like vocal vocal performance. Yeah, didn't pick any any Whitney. Uh that would have <laughs> yeah. been I but the thing too is like like for, again, for me, did it make me sit down on my instrument? I've never heard a Whitney Houston performance. She's incredible, absolutely incredible, yeah. of course. But I never heard a performance where like I need to like practice and and get better. Which is that's probably just on me. I thought about Freddie Mercury. Yeah, because love up. of my life. Like, oh, I did think about Halo by Beyonce because that was another song. Yeah, yeah, of course. And she's Beyonce. got a voice that yeah. I obsessed over. And you mentioned at the top that emotion is so much more important. And when I think about what vocal performances and what vocalists I love. Yeah, a little known Canadian by the name of Andy Schaaf, like an unbelievably emotional singer and a very unique voice. Is it, do you have your own voice and am I getting a ton of emotion from it? Two words, Billie Eilish. I mean, she yeah. is yeah. the leading figure of that right now. So, Surma, do you have any uh, new records? I know you obviously have uh, have studio monologues out right now Mm -hmm. on on YouTube, which is so awesome. Thank Uh, you. But anything that you would like to share with the audience that uh, you're up to and what you're doing and maybe uh, things that uh, folks can kind of keep an eye out for? Well, it's been a busy year. I kind of focused on whatever I can achieve. I'm in Istanbul right now. I decided to visit my parents and I was initially here for business. It ended up Mm -hmm. being a longer stay than I thought. And I've been just focusing on creating something and then just putting it out. I put out this single called How Could We Ever Know? And I put out a collaboration with a Turkish producer titled Bizdenonje. Iki, well, you can call it Bizdenonje 2, I guess. It's like the part two of a single that we did last year. Secretly, awesome. uh, secretly working on an album. I, I can't uh, believe... Secret, definitely say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe I haven't put out an album yet because I feel like I've just been in this for a while, so long. It was just EPs and singles. And it wasn't because I tried to fit into the trends. It was more so that I do so many things. You know me, you know, like I have my work at Soundfly. I, I write... Uh, Mm -hmm. music articles i recently launched a turkish column Uh, i wrote a column about music now for a newspaper here and i just do so many things that i couldn't wrap my head around like an album production because i do everything myself you know i write i record i produce i mix and i i master uh so it's just all up to me so i am trying to make it happen this time And that's going to do it for another episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite songs with memorable vocal performances. So there is a link to a Spotify community playlist in the show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. If you have any questions, comments, or want to suggest a theme for a future episode, drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. And if you're interested in supporting the show, consider subscribing to soundfly.com. Remember, use the discount code themes to take 20% off the monthly or annual subscription. As a very special treat, we're going to play this one out with an excerpt from Surma's stunning track, How Could We Ever Know? 
We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. I never wanted you to help yourself I only wanted you to tie me down I never asked you to remind yourself Where we were meant to go How could we